0: Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub.
1: All right, welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send in to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub. That's right. And we are covering probably the most entertaining, topic i think known to man not pizza but sec censures
2: well i don't know if, if people are listening to these in order the last thing we just got done talking about was tax so oh yeah people really hate that stuff i like it but that was last episode and we lost basically i, I i'm
1: already predicting like the stats just everyone just stopped listening after that point so that's okay
2: we covered the san diego magazine and that's still going on yeah we should trademark, get a trademark for Hidden San Diego for podcasts.
1: If we get as much controversy as they did, it'd be a great hit for us.
2: All right. Well, like I said, this is a, a crowdfunding site. I assume it's Eureka Capital, SPC? Uh, yeah. Eureka Capital?
1: I was thinking like, yeah, Eureka, uh, Oregon or Washington? can't remember which. I think it's Washington. Oregon.
2: Oregon. Washington. I don't know. They're, they're basically the same state. There's a California Eureka California up north. Well, it doesn't matter, they're spelled differently and not not in the northwest. So the reason I it was spelled differently is because it's incorporated outside the United States. So that's yeah. I think that's why. And that's pertinent to this because according to the SEC, which is the Southeastern Conference, which is a big football powerhouse conference for uh, for those listening. That's right. <laughs> also called the
1: Securities and Exchange Commission, I believe. That's also true.
2: Yeah. Apparently, the the way this was set up, it was not allowed to have investors come from the United States. So the way they got around or the way they prevented U.S. investors from coming in was asking them. There was a disclaimer, you know, there's a disclaimer saying no U.S. individuals can invest. And they had a thing saying that. But then if you went to register... One of the options was United States, and then you were able to register and invest. So obviously, that's a problem. It's it's like if you went to a a brewery website and it says no one can be on this site unless you're 21 or older, then you put in some information for you know 1998 as your birthday, and they still let you in. Or I guess if you went to a bar and. You're like, oh, I'm not 21. It's like, all right, well, come in, come on in then. Come so. on in. It's, yeah, that's actually a pretty good analogy, I would say. Yeah. And the reason this is an issue is because
1: SEC is obviously designed to restrict the sale of securities, and you know whether you're selling equity in your company or or what have you, raising funds, whatever you offer has to be regulated by them. And in complying with that regulation, it's not. Too easy for most companies, depending upon how much you're raising. When a third party gets involved in getting a percentage, you know, acting basically as a broker dealer, that's also prohibited unless you're licensed and doing it properly. I think in this case, they were set up in the Cayman Islands. That's kind of suspicious in itself. And even though they weren't publicly targeting United States citizens, it seems like it was pretty accessible to them. And maybe that was kind of, it, it reminds me of the online gambling thing, right? Wasn't there a time where all the legal gambling was dot net, but then the illegal ones was dot com or vice versa and technically, you weren't allowed to do so from the u s side, but they were doing it anyway and
2: Do you recall any of that or no? I think a lot of them now are dot different countries, like Argentina or something like that. It raises an interesting point, and I know there are states that are trying to adopt their own you know crowdfunding rules, but crowdfunding's nice. In some, some sense, it's basically just getting free money from people. But it, sometimes it can be really beneficial for these startup companies that I guess have no other way to raise money and to, to make their product or enhance their service. So I think you're talking about also the classic crowdfunding of like Kickstarter and stuff like that.
1: But some of the things that are being developed now is where you can actually crowdfund your, your company and actually sell securities or sell equity in your company. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is a little bit different in the sense that I mean, we can we can talk a little bit about what's going on with that. A few years ago, the JOBS Act was passed and implemented, and they created basically another exception, which allows general solicitation to only accredited investors. And you have to go through steps to verify. But then it also allowed the SEC to develop regulations, which would allow general solicitation to unaccredited investors. And right now they have a published opinion, which is, not opinion, proposed rules that have been commented on, but nothing's really happened from it. But those rules included like basically an issuer could raise up to a million dollars without having to register. But if for offerings between 100,000 to 500, then they would have to provide some financial data, but not that much. Under that, you wouldn't actually have to provide that much educational materials. And so that's what's going on now, but compare it to this company in the Cayman Islands, forget about what they were trying to do. Even if they were in the United States, they would be prohibited from doing so as of right now, unless they are an authorized broker-dealer, as well as if they're actually verifying that the investors are are accredited investors as well.
2: And I guess that's something to to look in for this company that was doing it. Um, it said that did not verify three of the investors of, or didn't verify that they were in, accredited investors. So there you go. Would the same issue have arisen if? they would have verified that? I mean, that's, it seems, that seems like a pretty easy thing to do.
1: Yeah, it kind of depends upon which, which rule they're, they're relying upon for exception. But obviously, I don't think they really even cared to comply with any SEC rule, right? So they were kind of operating off the cuff here. Not off the cuff, what's the word? On the fringes of society? No.
2: I'll let you think about that a little bit more and I'll get into the question of the day. Yeah. Another question dealing with doing business outside of where business is actually being done. I live in California, but my LLC is set up in another state. At what point am I doing business in California? Yeah, this is a classic question.
1: The problem is California, the Franchise Tax Board, they're like tax Nazis, aren't
2: they? I, I often say that the Franchise Tax Board is more aggressive than the IRS. Oh, yeah. I think you even mentioned in the past, like they, they don't negotiate, right? its It's a lot tougher. I mean, you can. IRS is just a lot easier to negotiate with. Yeah.
1: Doing business in California, I mean, that is that is kind of the legal standard. But the problem is it's there's not really a very great definition of what exactly that is. But I can say this, is that the franchise board will try to construe it in any way possible to say that you are doing business in California as much as possible. So whenever you're on the fence, it's always like, just register. It's higher risk not to do so for sure.
2: I share the same belief, and there was a recent case that just came out. And in this situation, it was an Iowa corporation that owned a 0.2 percent interest in a California investment fund. <laughs> if, it, if it was that little of an of ownership, and it still you know was a huge issue, that shows you right there. If there's any sort of inclination that they're doing business in California or have any ownership, because if you look at one of the things of doing business, what's considered doing business in California, one of the things is. The taxpayers organized and commercially domiciled in california and then there's a bunch of other things too the swart case you're referencing is actually
1: really interesting from a legal perspective but you know from a practical perspective in this case the ftb had the opinion that they should have been registered and the court ended up signing in favor of the corporation saying that they didn't have to be registered basically you have a corporation that is a member of an llc and the question was whether that outside corporation had to be registered in, in California and this LLC was a member managed LLC sorry it was a manager managed LLC this is opposed to a member managed LLC where every member has management authority and where it's a manager managed then the members actually have to hire or appoint a manager to actually run the business and so there was very well established case law even from the ftp's opinion that if the entity is a limited partner in an entity in California, then because of the nature of a limited partner, they, they have no ability to actually manage the day-to-day operations. They're not doing business in California. But in the same case, they didn't make the distinction between the different types of LLCs and the FTPs perspective or FTBs. There's too many acronyms here. <laughs> they didn't make this distinction in the FTBs opinion. And so right now, if we were to take the same case the swart case is not binding authority apparently i don't even think it's been published so therefore in the same exact circumstance where you own 0.2% in an entity of an llc that's even member managed you may not be i'm sorry a manager managed you still may not be protected from from filing an, uh, as a foreign corporation in california
2: Yeah, I don't know if anyone's stuck with that. It's complicated stuff for sure. This is an example. It's a a passive member of a member-managed LLC that has no management authority in the LLC. Yeah, let's try to say that three times fast. The funniest thing about this is the whole dispute's over. It's paying that 800 bucks to the state of California, which I think is hilarious, but... That's a good point. But if you think about it, if this ruling went the
1: other way, first of all, it's very common for minority shareholders or members not even minority any shareholders or members to hold their ownership interest in an entity and if that entity is out of state now each of those owners would have to under if this went against them they would have to register in California and that's 800 times who knows how many entities that would have to to pay that that's a pretty big grab from California's perspective so i understand why they want to do it but
2: i think that's a little unfair the only way this would have made sense for the the company that the oh, to fight sport, it, yeah, would be that they had someone who did it for free because eight hundred bucks is, is nothing. It's very possible that this Iowa company has a lot of
1: other interests in California under you know minority interests just with that, or maybe they pool their money together because there's plenty of other people around the country that would have an interest in this holding for sure.
2: It's a victory against the franchise tax board, but it's a pretty It's limited, yeah. Yeah, it's a very limited victory. I really wish though they published this opinion because I think this is good
1: law that they came out with, but they need to actually make it enforceable here.
2: It's like you said at the beginning, it's pretty gray in terms of what is considered doing business in California and the more definiteness we have, the better, but you know, it's not gonna be that way. Yeah, I think the statutory definition I have in front of me
1: is actively engaging in any transaction for the purpose of financial or pecuniary gain or profit. That's pretty general. Way too general. That's that's heavy stuff for sure. I mean, I think it's a very common question as to whether you need to file as a foreign entity. And we've talked about in the past a lot of people that want to avoid the minimum franchise fee tax in California and they form in Delaware, Texas, or Nevada, and then they end up having to pay anyway and even being fined by the FTB Possibly.
2: I mean, it, it's a huge issue. It's one that a lot of people try to get around. So it's good for them to know. That's what we're here for. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Keep it sound. Keep it smart.
0: This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasir Pasha and Matt Stobb. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up to date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney.